And maybe I will end up with the same plan, like date, get married, whatever. But maybe I won't. But at least I will know that I consciously came up with it on my own. Mic drop, frankly. Yeah, yeah honestly. Yeah. Like, Should we hang up now? That. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. We're done. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Rourke. Rourke, how are you? I have been on three first dates this week, and I'm going to go on a, a e, yeah, tech, technically over the past 10 days. Close enough. And I am going on another tonight. You're on a tear, lady. Are you wearing lipstick? It looks cute. I am, yeah. I wanted to get like fully ready so I didn't have to feel rushed. Yeah. So I would say that one was a C, one was an F, and one was like a BB plus where I would see him again if he asked, but I'm not actively – I'm not going to initiate that. Right. But he did reach out, you said, right? Yeah, he did. He actually actually just texted me. We should grab a dinner or drink or something this week. All right. I'll say yes to that. Anyway. Yes. He had reached out to follow up on something we had talked about on the date, which is Mm -hmm. a thing that I like – as sort of a goodbye, like, oh, you mentioned this and we didn't look it up. You yep. know, send me that. Um, whatever. So he did do that. And then now he has asked for a date. So I'll, I'll I will contend with that. The F one I would like to talk about a little bit. Have I heard I, about this one? I know I heard no. about the C. I didn't think I'd heard about the F. Yeah, the F was interesting. I felt like I was on a date with Larry David. If you've seen Curb oh. Enthusiasm. Not like a lot, but I'm familiar with the vibe. Yes. Where he – he, you know how like the big five personality traits or whatever, he was so high on neuroticism. I was like trying to be patient and kind with the stories he was telling, but I was like, I this is insanity. Um, I'm not familiar with the big five personality traits. What oh. – what, what exemplifies neuroticism? So, like, this is considered the Big Five is actually scientifically tested, whereas like Enneagram, NB, um, MBTI, all that stuff is not. Right. It's agreeableness, openness, conscientiousness, and neuroticism. Got it. So and extroversion so, and extroversion. So you have sorry. like different levels of yes. Each thing. So like everyone is on a spectrum of each one, and like where sure. you fall then makes your like whole personality. The um, neuroticism is like anxious, prone to negative emotions, like that type it's of the, it's the Seinfeld vibe, which is why it's the Larry David vibe. Yes. Yeah. So he mentioned that he hates Trader Joe's on the date. Okay. And I, I really have no strongly held opinions about Trader Joe's. Some people are obsessed. That's fine. It it doesn't matter. My friend a, a, a girlfriend of mine, Amy, actually also doesn't like that like it. And so I said, that's so funny you say that. Like, I know people are obsessed, but a, a friend of mine actually feels the same. And I said, why yeah. for her? And he goes, oh, for me, it's because there are a lot of people there. And I really don't like being around. Like, I really don't like feeling claustrophobic, it, which is Got fine. It. That's it, fine. That's actually how I feel at concerts. So to me, so far, fine. And then he goes, that's why I picked this bar. I feel really safe here because they have vaulted ceilings. And so I never feel claustrophobic. And I was like, oh, great. 
it also has great cocktails, great pick. You know, I tried to like pivot, stay positive. Yeah. He then asks me if I go to the beach a lot because I, you know, live on the west side of LA. And yeah. he, I say not really because I live kind of just far enough where it's a bit of a schlep. And uh-huh. so it has to become kind of like a beach day for me to do it. And he says back, I probably wouldn't go as often either. But that's because I have really tight hamstrings, and so I get uncomfortable sitting crisscross applesauce for too long. And a 38-year-old man saying crisscross applesauce is an affront. (laughs) Okay, yeah, a couple things. First of all, I appreciate that he is using the more politically correct version of that phrase versus what we were taught as children. However, he could have said cross-legged. Cross-legged, or also, who sits like that at the beach? That was my second thing. Is like, why? Why is that an issue? I've never one time sat cross-legged at the beach. I too am uncomfortable with that. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely do when my friends and I are sitting around talking for a bit. Like, we'll sometimes bring cards or something to the beach and sit cross-legged to do so. But yeah, it was wild, and so like every. Every kind of like hobby or something mentioned had this co- – like had a caveat like that of, well, here's why yeah. I can't do that or here's why I don't like that and here's why – and I was like, oh my god. It was just like really difficult to like stay positive. Yeah. Yeah. It was really tough. That is uh, that is really hard. He's yes. like the definition of a scarcity mindset. Yes. Exactly. Of like everything is going to be hard. Every- yeah. That's – that's not a vibe I'm looking for. And it's interesting. He he mentioned that his ex was from the East Coast. He actually recently moved to LA from New York. And his ex was from the East Coast. And he said that they were very kind of like East Coast outdoorsy people, like loved to ski, loved to hike, like, you know, kind yeah. of the like intrepid wasp vibe. And he... And he said, he was like, oh, yeah, and like, you know, we would spend time with them and I would just complain the whole time. I'm that kind of guy. And I was like, that's not a guy that I want to be around. (laughs) No. He needs to learn how to – I mean, I suppose he is presenting his authentic self, but I think this is an example of like – that is not how – that is not how you want to present yourself. Even if you are that kind of guy, like saying like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy who complains the whole time we do anything. Yeah. Brutal. Let somebody find that out once they like you already. Yeah, totally. And then I've been chatting about this. I I mean, I'm focusing on the negative by like talking more about him than the better dates. But I was saying on our Patreon Discord channel, I was telling them about my date that's happening after our recording. Yeah. In that what's been interesting, this one I'm actually very excited for and I'm really trying to mediate my own expectations because the banter yeah. is like fucking crisp. It's so good. And so it's really – it it's throwing me off a little bit where I feel a little too excited and I need to – I am I feel like I'm doing what we advise against in ter- like typically. However, I've yeah. been quite good about like not over texting. He – has because we matched and started talking on Wednesday, but couldn't like go out until Sunday, and so and that's um, only four days. True, he did a nice job of like 
calling back to something on Friday that I had said on Wednesday in my message to kind of like reestablish contact. Like it, it's been good. It's been the right amount. Yeah. But there's a, there, it's just been, it's just been good. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, this could be good. It could be bad. I think it's going to be good conversation no matter what. So it doesn't, it's all good. It's all fine. But like, even if it sucks, but I am trying to contain my expectation a little bit. Fair. So I've talked a little bit on the pod about how I've been trying to extend my damp January into into future months, and I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah, and also it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, 0% alcohol. So just a nice, nice little flavorful drink. That is a little little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the Recess Watermelon Mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's a actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feel it all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the Recess Ginger Lime Mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious, and you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH, so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. What's his deal? What do like, you mean? What are, give me some headlines. Like, what? what's – So he – I mean, he's super – like, he has a lot of interesting stuff about him. He seems very smart. His – like, our references are very aligned. Um, mm-hmm. We've, like, mentioned a couple, like, books and shows and – stuff that we both have like opinions about or like wanted to talk about yeah he just got back from living four years in austria oh yeah and i actually and something that like i haven't really pursued is like when did you move back like why like i i and so that a lot of that is like open for conversation still yeah i don't know i think that's cool when people kind of take risks and pursue stuff like that and um very cool yeah, and so we'll we'll see. He's very witty, which I like. He's very quick. Yes, we love witty. I'm excited to hear about this later tonight, maybe or maybe tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely text you. Exciting. Um, what about you? What is what is the latest with um, our, our our man of our man of the river, the crew? <laughs> yeah, the man of the river. I did not know what you meant by that at first, but the, he literally rose on a you river. You row in rivers, right? Yes, you do. But I okay. thought that that was – I didn't realize that that was a specific phrase about him. I thought that that was like an idiom I was supposed to know. Like oh, the no, man no. of the Like the man of the hour, the man of the yeah. river. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, to his nickname. Got it. Um, so the rower, um, he – so as we discussed last week, it it is very important to me that his actions line up with his words – that he sees potential with us, wants to develop that, just doesn't feel ready to like fully take the plunge. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, I have been hanging back a little bit in terms of um, like pushing things forward. Like not in, you know, responsiveness to text messages or anything like that. We've been talking about Right, you're still being week. yourself. Of course, yeah. But I'm just not – I had decided that I did not want to be the one at least – at that juncture, I'm sure there would have come a time when I would have been like, all right, buddy, like this is not okay and I'm now going to move on because your actions don't line up with your words. Mm-hmm. But 
I didn't want to be the one to continue to like be the engine driving the relationship forward when I was the one who would put all my cards on the table for him to know that I wanted it to move forward. 100%. So all week we've been talking like normal, which was very heartening because obviously it was a pretty awkward conversation that we had. And, you know, I it could have been – it could have been – completely derailing. Like that totally. sort of conversation that doesn't go the way one person wants and like becomes uncomfortable, that has ended a relationship for me not just once. Yeah, I was so, actually going to say I don't know that I've ever like come back from that conversation. I haven't. Yeah, I off the top of my I I would have to think more thoroughly about it, but certainly off the top of my head I cannot think of an example where I have successfully. I think for me, I'm like really happy with the way that I brought up the conversation and then handled the conversation so that it didn't feel like an ultimatum situation. Mm-hmm. I think that that is why the conversations – because I didn't think it was. It would be one thing if I thought it was an ultimatum. Right. But like I think that that's a reason why that conversation has not – has if it hasn't gone my way, has been an end – in my past because I have approached it like if this isn't the answer I want, then everything is ruined. Right. Like, for example, the waffles conversation that I mentioned recently. Mm -hmm. Like, I think no matter how I would have approached that, I think that would have probably ended because he had decided that he didn't see potential with me. He just hadn't told me yet. And Right. Yeah. He had made that other separate conclusion. Yes. But there are other conversations I can think back to similar to this that didn't go, that ended things, that we were not able to recover from. And mm-hmm. I think that this, I'm like really happy with sort of like the maturity level with which we both handled that sort of uncomfortable outcome. Mm-hmm. Obviously what remains to be seen is if, you know, it continues to be okay. But so anyway, so all week we were texting, like, you know, we still send each other little pictures and stuff like that. And then today he asked if I wanted to get dinner dinner this week. Great. Yeah. Good good outcome. Yes. So I am um, only free on either Wednesday or Friday because I coach on Mondays and Tuesdays. We have our live Patreon episode, which by the time this airs will have happened, mm-hmm. on Thursday. So I had those two options available. So I gave him the option and we're going with Friday. Great. Which is probably the right call given our uh, propensity for late nights. Yes. Um, so we're going to go out on Friday. Wonderful. I, I have a question. So I'm obviously very glad that he initiated. That is the that is the proper thing for him to do. Yes. How do you feel about him letting like a weekend pass after New Year's before reaching out for that? I – it isn't ideal, but I think I had I had like said to myself, I think it is gonna take him a second to realize that he needs to do this. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the weekend was that realization of like, oh, we're going into another week. Wait a minute. Right. Like uh, so I'm not like uh, it's, they it, didn't make plans for us. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and so I, I maybe he and maybe he was busy. True. 
I have no idea. That I'm like, I'm not surprised by it. I had actually said I feel like it's gonna. I'm gonna see him in two weeks. Mm, interesting. Well, good call. Um, yeah, I, I was right. Um, but so I'm not necessarily surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have a an interesting phone call today, which was so there is a um. This woman that I've done lives with before, her name is Nora. She reads tarot. Oh, yeah. Um, she's like super into astrology. I had – I've been talking to her about wanting to do something with her again and I had reached out to her being like, let's do another reading, you know, just me and her. Um, I have – I'm like – as I've discussed before, I am i don't subscribe to all of that necessarily, but I find it very fun. Yeah. And I think it's like interesting in some ways and I also had some questions about – like my business and kind of like wanting some direction, reassurance about, you know, things I've been thinking about for the business. And so part of it was about that. But I did give her his like his information that I'm aware of mm-hmm. in advance of the call. And she feels very strongly based on the cards that he is not ready for a relationship that he is not emotionally available and not my person. Shit. How did that make you feel to hear that? Fucking terrible. Yeah. Even though like I like I said, I don't believe that this is gospel. Like I don't believe that tarot cards know my life. <laughs> right. But like it is obviously a fear of mine. That mm-hmm. I am emotionally investing into somebody that cannot emotionally invest back. Right. And so that fear was certainly activated by yeah. this session. Yeah. How much information had you given her up front about that being an issue? Like how much of that was generated by her? Almost all of it. Which one though? Oh, sorry. Almost all of it was generated by her. So did what did you just say like this is his like birthplace or something like what I I want to know I gave him oh fuck I gave I gave her his birthday I don't know okay. what time he was born and was not about to ask that question yeah fuck no because he will know what per it's that up. <laughs> yeah per that meme that meme that says like mom what's her, what what time was I born and then she's like break up with her yeah <laughs> so I gave her his birthday and I gave her the town that he was likely born in. I know he was born in New Jersey. It doesn't the specificity of the town doesn't quite matter as much. It's like about like where certain things whatever. Like it's like the time zone, I think. I don't know. Gotcha. Somebody's going to come for me because that's not true, but I gave her as much specificity as I as I had. Yeah. We're going to need latitude and longitude next time, but okay, right. Yeah, on. yeah. I'll need to find out the <laughs> hospital and the room number. <sighs> but so I I had told her that and she had like pulled his chart and like done some work on that. And then I like kind of gave her a little bit of background, but I didn't tell her that he was engaged previously. I didn't tell her that he had been in this long relationship. I told her that afterwards and I do think she was genuinely surprised. She follows me. So she could have already known this information. Oh, true. but I don't think, I don't think she listens to the pod and I've never mentioned it in content. That's a good point. You haven't. Yeah, and she seemed genuinely surprised. I, I don't think that she would have. Damn, that's pertained. wild. Yeah, so she basically said that that what what she was seeing in his chart, plus apparently she actually has the same three 
placements as him, like the three main placements as he does. Whoa. Which that's kind of interesting. But basically what she was saying, and again, I want to make it super clear that I'm not like subscribing to this. Like I don't, but like it was just interesting. Basically Mm -hmm. what she was saying was that what she was seeing was somebody who has not worked through their shit. Damn. And is like not emotionally available enough for what I need. Yeah. And not able to be what I need. Yeah. And I mean, kind of more, not kind of more importantly, absolutely more importantly, is that your experience of him? Not in the current place that we're at. Mm -hmm. So my fear is that, and I was saying to her, like, he makes me feel really good. He makes me feel really safe and heard and cared for and all of these things. My fear is that he won't be what I need in a relationship. Right. Right, Not right. where we're at now. Right. And so that was more what I was thinking about. And again, I am not making any decisions based on this information. <laughs> but like it it, it kind of, I think, validated my sort of strategy, if you will, which is that I'm going to continue on for as long as it feels good for me, but I am not going to fully invest in the sense that I am on the app's barren though they may be mm-hmm. um and like trying to continue to cultivate other relationships in the event that this one is a failure to launch gotcha that i mean that makes perfect sense yeah so wow spooky i know so anyway so that's the deal with that and that's pretty much all of my updates because as i mentioned the apps originally were dry as a bone it was horrible. Then all of a sudden I was getting a lot of traction and I still am in matches, mm-hmm. but they're not going anywhere. Like I'm getting a lot of they're matches. Getting, like, I'm getting like that place in the funnel. Yes. They're getting – they're either like not replying or the conversation just ends or they like turn out to be kind of weird. Like there's been a couple guys that have turned out to be kind of weird. Oh, and I'm like, and I, uh, I like I'm like getting the ick from the conversation. I don't want this to go any further kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So I am trying to diversify my emotional investments. Yeah. Uh, but it's struggling a little bit. Oh, my God. By the way, I had a very vivid dream that PowerPoint and then my friend's ex that I did the process service on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um listened to the podcast and like reached out to me to threaten me. <gasps> it was very <gasps> scary. Oh my god. Yeah, I woke up like very unsettled. Uh yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. I actually had unsettling dreams last night too, but I didn't remember them. I just woke up feeling unsettled. I went to bed yeah. drunk, so I'm like not surprised. Mine was I a few nights ago, and I think it was because I woke up I woke up very early to like use the bathroom or something and then when I came I slept again from like 2 to 6 and it it happened yeah. in that span. Um cuz then I like woke up and remembered it and then um texted my friend whose ex it is and was like, "Oh my god, I just had the craziest dream about." Yeah, gosh. <laughs> these two guys. Um she was like, "Honestly, like that they would." So <laughs> oh god, <laughs> like that's not a crazy dream. Fingers um, crossed. Yeah, um, seriously. Should we so, yeah. um, introduce our guest? We should. I'm so excited. We are doing our third part of our breakup series this week. 
So obviously we had part one with Dara talking about her blindside breakup. We had part two last week talking about being the breaker-upper. And today we're welcoming Amy Chan onto the pod. She is a relationship expert, but she also founded Renew Breakup Bootcamp, and she wrote a book called Breakup Bootcamp. But she runs these breakup bootcamps for women who are struggling to move forward from a breakup, and she brings in all these experts, and Dara did it. Um, and really enjoyed the process. And it just sounds amazing. She's amazing. I'm so excited to talk to her. Yeah, I think that this is – she's great. I've heard her on other podcasts, and I think that this is um, – she's a very charismatic, high-energy person. I'm excited to talk to her. Yeah, me too. And I'm also very excited to, like, nerd out a little bit on some of the, like, psychology stuff that she gets into in her book. I, I had a um, feeling because, you would like that stuff. Oh, yeah. All that shit. I love it. I, I can't wait to pick her brain on this. Listen up, guys. If you haven't heard yet, we're coming to the DC Comedy Loft for another live podcast Thursday, March 21st. Get your tickets. We are, I think, over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets if you want to come experience some magic live. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week. So, and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrhyde.com slash live to find an easy link also in our bios to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come DC Comedy Loft Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand up shows. Start swiping on Hinge, bring a date, have a good time. And you'll, you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about, hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt. I want to come with my sister. I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join. Travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrhyte.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. So without further ado, let's go chat with Amy. Amy, welcome to Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. Hello. We're so happy yeah, to have you. I'm, I'm so, so excited, excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, you're like the exclamation point at the end of our breakup series. Yay. Yes, people were pumped. When, we, when I posted that story earlier this week asking for questions, I got so many DMs. People were so excited to hear from you. They love your book. They love your work. Yay. I'm excited. Um, but before we dive into all of that, we wanted to bring you into our Weird or Not segment that we do every podcast. Okay, and let's go. <laughs> because we're doing a breakup series, we wanted to do a little bit of a breakup theme for our Weird or Not. So this week's Weird or Not is your ex is using a photo that you're cropped out of for their dating app profile. And so we so, asked the listeners, Weird or Not, what do we think they said? Can I start by saying I have this? <laughs> So we know where you're coming from, Rourke. Yeah, this is totally fine. <laughs> what, do you think, um, what do you think the listener said, though? That is a picture of me and my ex dancing at a wedding where my hand leads to nowhere because I cropped my ex out. Oh, my God. 
Wait, that's amazing. So he's like leading you and oh, that's that's great. Yep. Yep. Anyway, um yeah. So I think this is not weird. If they're fully cropped out, it doesn't matter. I think what is weird is when people do the emoji over the face <laughs> and specifically use the prompt dating me will look like. I have seen that. Amy, have you seen I that? Have too. No. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I I don't think it's weird, but I don't think it's ideal. <laughs> That's <laughs> perfect. I just get someone to snap a new photo. Like, come on. Get a new picture. Yes. Um, <laughs> but you guys are both avoiding. You have to guess. Oh. What did the listeners say? What percent weird and what percent not? I say do you want to go, do you, go, yeah, go for it, Amy. I would say 80% thinks it's not weird. 2080. Okay. You have a lot of faith in our listeners that oh, in- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I think they're gonna think it's a little weird. Um <laughs> especially so like I, I do think it depends on the amount of crop. So I'm gonna say it's 60 weird, 40 nah. You're getting really good at this work. Oh, it is fuck yeah it's about time it is <laughs> when we first started the pod amy <laughs> work was very wrong very often and it was really fun um but you're really good at it now it is 55 weird 45 nah Ooh, okay okay so nearly a coin flip what were people's reasons or what are your what are your thoughts ali i think it's fine i think i agree with exactly what you said amy which is that it's not ideal like get someone to take a good picture of you but I would also be like, yeah, that is a good picture. Because honestly, if it's a picture of me and my ex, I probably commissioned this picture. I approved this picture. I made sure that it looked good. So yeah. like, I'm not surprised that he thinks that this is the best picture ever of him. Do you know what I think is more, certainly more irksome? Amy, we have a Patreon that a tier of it is a Discord channel. So it's sort of like a group chat atmosphere and a couple people in the discord channel have mentioned going on three to four dates with the guy that they're interested in and then they update one of their dating prompts with a compliment that the that the girl in our discord channel has like given them about themselves while on a date (laughs) i think that's brutal yeah that's a bit that's a bit weird can you imagine yeah. if you like said to a guy like, oh my God, I love how you're this, this, and this, and then you look at his dating app profile and it says what you said, I would I would die. Um, so yeah. So anyway, so most people said, like obviously most people said weird, but it didn't seem like they thought it was crazy weird. It seemed like they were more like, eh, maybe don't do that, bro. Yeah. That was kind of the vibe. I think that's a fair conclusion. I think so, too. Like, get a better picture of yourself. Um, Well, so speaking of exes, Amy, would love to hear from you, you know, before we kind of dive into moving on from breakups and and all of that. We call them origin stories around here in terms of, like, you know, how, how did you come to be in this place where you wanted to create this space for people that are recovering from breakups? Yeah, I mean... I my parents definitely didn't see this future for me. They're like, you're going to be a lawyer or an accountant, and I'm like, nah, I'm going to be a breakup expert. Um, well, <laughs> I I've been a relationship columnist for about 12 years, and I started mm-hmm. because 
love was the one area I just kept failing miserably in. And I was, I didn't know what was going on. Like I was good in school. I did well in my career. I had good friends, but I just was constantly heartbroken. And I swear I've been heartbroken since like five. So I, I thought if I could figure out the science behind love, then maybe I would be able to get into a relationship that didn't sting so badly. And, um, I, I then found myself in a relationship and I thought, oh my gosh, like this is my happily forever after. We were on the path, like date, and then we would eventually get married. We lived together. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is all set. And then one day that relationship fell apart um, due to infidelity and I completely fell apart. And I had based so much of my identity in him and us and our future that without that, I completely crumbled and I didn't know who I was. And so I, I struggled really hard. I had panic attacks. I had depression. I had thoughts of suicide. And it took me some time to get out of the intensity of the heartbreak. And, and then I started to do everything I could to heal. Uh, therapy, Reiki, psychics, retreats, you name it, I tried it. And I did go to like these yoga retreats, which were great. Like, But I felt like I was procrastinating my pain because I'd come back mm. into my apartment, have the same triggers and be spiraling again. And so when I finally kind of got through that, um, I just asked myself, like, what happens to those people who don't have a support system, who don't know which books to read, who don't know where to start? Like, it's a really scary place when you don't have any hope and you don't think the pain is going to end. So I thought I need to be the one who creates this. I wanted to, and I did, I created a breakup boot camp where you go to physical space in nature. It's a luxurious experience, but you leave differently than how you came and you are equipped with tools. You understand your patterns. So you don't keep repeating the same experiences over and over again. I love that. I feel like it's it's so relatable to me what you said about like if I can just understand mm -hmm. love, if I can just understand the psychology, if I can just understand, if I can like logic my way through this, then I can figure out how to like hack love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if I totally. can if I, I can hack love, that would be great. Yeah, it's a very kind of type A overachiever gal <laughs> approach to relationships. I, I was actually, this is kind of a random question. I was wondering, have you been doing these on Zoom or what has this looked like during COVID? Yeah. So during the pandemic, we did online ones on Zoom, mm -hmm. still the same intensity, like three days. And yeah. we're now doing physical retreats again. So we just did one in upstate New York a couple months ago. We have another one coming up in May, but um, they're, they're, I'm not having as many because I just never know what's going to happen, but we are doing Gosh, yeah. a few a year now. That's great. Yeah. Sorry. That was just random curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, I would imagine, and it seemed like from reading the testimonials and kind of the, you know, first person recounting of the women at these retreats, that that in-person bonding between the participants is a really important element to the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, one thing I do notice is the women on, who come in, they come in on Friday and they're hunched over and there's almost like their eyes, like there's almost like there's no sparkle. And as you see them get very comfortable with each other, what happens is their, their nervous system 
starts to relax and they physically feel safe and seen and not judged. And then you see them flourish. And by like Saturday, Sunday, like they have a sparkle in their eye, their posture is different. Like they physically look different. And that's because for, you know, four days straight, they're, they're in this, what's called a window of tolerance where they're, Mm -hmm. they feel like they're safe. They're not in survival. And some of these people have never been in this window of tolerance for a couple of days because they've had chaos in their upbringing and into their relationships. And so you get to see, oh, this is how someone is when they don't feel like they have to protect themselves. And, and the women feel that like, oh, I I never even knew I could access this part of myself. And this is what love and support feels like. Okay, I'm not intellectualizing this. I know this on a cellular level, how it feels like to be supported and to to feel safe. I I love the diversity of experience you give the people that come to your boot camps from psychologist to dominatrix. That's incredible. (laughs) And is is there one in particular that you've seen people really respond to? Yeah, there I would say the the most the highlight is the dominatrix. She has a, you know, a PhD from Berkeley. She teaches on the psychology of power dynamics and it's a very experiential uh session as well. And it's so it's such a highlight that we've created a whole second boot camp called Renew Power Play and it's Oh wow. Yeah, it's a bootcamp to channel your inner dominatrix. So for those alumni who want to continue, you know, with this, you know, now they've kind of healed from their breakup and now they're like, okay, like I want to like, you know, get back into essential practice, like look at sensuality from not as something I do for someone else, but something for myself. Um, and then this is like the fun, juicy one where there's like a lot of play, but we've created a whole other bootcamp just on that. That's so cool. That is very cool. I feel like that's one of the thing, those things that would make me so uncomfortable, but would probably lead to the most growth. Yeah. I mean, we can really psych ourselves out of things. And so part of why we actually don't tell anyone what they're doing at the retreat. So they know the different psychologists and like the teachers and the doctors, but they don't actually know. And there's a reason why is because we have these preconceived notions, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's like too weird or, or whatever. And, and so you'll stop yourself. But when you don't know, And then you do an experience and then you're like, oh my gosh, like I never knew breath work and moving trauma through my body would be so invigorating. Um, Then you get this, this like healthy dopamine hit because you're like, oh, this is a positive feedback loop. So in the future, in daily life, like things that they're not certain certain of or they would normally say no, they'll be a little bit more open to experience. So that in itself, by not knowing and just experiencing helps them with the rewiring of their brain. Yeah. You sound like my therapist trying to get me to do breath work when I'm telling her it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, she's right. Like she's right. I feel better afterwards. And then I'm like annoyed that she was right because, you know, that's a whole other thing. But I like what you said about the positivity thing. I think like a phrase that you used in the book was like, no hate fest rabbit holes. Yeah. Mm. And I have experienced, as I'm sure we all have, post-breakup, the like group chat hate fest of like, fuck that guy. He sucks. Like, you know, you're amazing, which like that part, great. But like, it all seems so hateful and I don't know that it helps. 
Yeah. So here's the reality. Like if you're still blaming your ex, vilifying your ex, psychoanalyzing your ex, calling them a narcissist or however you're pathologizing them, you're still in a relationship with your ex. You're just in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you because all of that energy you are pouring, that emotional charge, that keeps you hooked. And so it's a really great way of actually staying in the past. Um, and, and so like our friends, they love us, but they're not very well equipped to know what to say or what to do. They're not trained in it. Right. And so it's important for us to understand what we need and what works. And like this whole hate fest thing, it's like eating junk food. You feel good in the moment and you, it's horrible for you in the long run. And you have to tell them how to support you and say like, Hey, I know you love me. Um, and just saying, you know, everything happened for a reason. Like I get it. But right now I just need you to listen to me. I just need you to like hold space for me. Give me a hug. And I don't need any advice. Mm. Yeah. I have to tell that to my parents <laughs> a fair amount. <laughs> yeah. Like this is a venting moment, not yeah. an advice seeking moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Moving, uh, moving kind of into the book a little, and also back a little bit to to your origin story with the breakup that led to this big kind of career explosion for you. When you ask participants in a breakup boot camp to reflect, that they will often notice signs of things that were coming, whether it was a red flag here or like something ignored. Did you go through that as well? Did you? realized that there were kind of missed or maybe you didn't miss them, but maybe you didn't assign the amount of weight that you should have. Like, did you feel that in your own breakup? Do you think, basically I'm wondering, do you think there is such thing as like a true blind side? I actually was just broken up with. Um, and so <laughs> asking for a friend. Yeah. You know, I would say I, I have spent decades of just rationalizing um, relationships that just weren't a fit for me. And mm -hmm. I think we're, it's a very human nature thing. We're, we're rationalizing machines, right? We want a relationship to work, especially if we've invested in them. And so maybe they're not that invested and you find like you're doing all of the chasing or like ha trying to have those commitment talks, but they're kind of skirting around it. But you're like, you know what? But, like they're so great in this area. And I think that's really natural. And I don't want us to kind of go back and like blame ourselves. Um, did I see infidelity coming? Absolutely not. Like my partner, my ex-boyfriend was like one of the highest integrity people I know. Um, mm. And so I, I don't think I could have done anything different. But when I look at the relationship, what broke the relationship, there was a lot of issues in the relationship. It wasn't just the infidelity, right? I, I think that in terms of timing, in terms of investment in the relationship there was those things that i was just like you know just keep going just keep working at it like yep. i mean I, I do this at work like i just keep work work hard and you'll finally get the thing um mm -hmm. so yeah I, I and and but i do see a lot of the times people miss really big red flags and a lot of the times it's the big red flag is they're not equally invested mm. yeah yeah and I, I think what can be hard is not then looking for them all the time in your new relationship. And like that's the thing that when I was reading those archetypes of people that 
you know, different types of people after a breakup. And I was reading the overachiever one and I was like, oh yeah, overachiever, party of one. But then I started reading the superhuman one about like reading up on everything you can, trying to come at it from a million different angles, trying to understand everything so that you can fix it. Yeah. And I really recognized myself in that in – honestly, I think it's the reason that I got into dating coaching in the first place is because of how much material I had read on how to fix my relationships. Yeah. We become like a CIA agent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like thinking about like I was dating this really avoidant guy that was not a good fit for me. And I went into research overload on anxious avoidant relationships and how to approach an avoidant person and how to make it work. And, you know, and I was trying to make a relationship work that wasn't right. So I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) It's the moral of my story. It's my takeaway. I'm healed. Done. There you go. Something else, though, that I think really resonated with me, Amy, is that linear model of a relationship that you were talking about in your book about how some of the greatest pain from a breakup comes from all of the things that you thought should have happened and like that breaking of this plan that you had. Like you said with your relationship, like you were living together. You like – you were on this path that you had already paved And now it's like, oh, wait, I'm not going to walk down that path. Yeah. And I see this so often when people are grieving their their ex. And then we dig into it and the relationship wasn't good. And they didn't even really like the person. And so we're like, what are you so devastated about? It's this plan that just went poof. And no longer is that plan there. And like, well, where did this plan come from? And think about how we are indoctrinated into this fantasy right? Like since we're young, like from fairy tales to love songs and look, things are better now, but has it changed that much? Look at the storyline of Bridgerton of like a lot of these romantic, um, you know, storylines out there is still the unavailable guy, but then you win them over and then it's intense. Like we are fed these stories. And even if we're smart enough to be like, oh no, like that's not reality. If you're hammered with these messages since you've been young, it's going to get into you. You're going to soak it up subconsciously. Right. And so, you know, I think that Sometimes, you know, the breakup is the shakeup. You need to redirect your life. And that's what really happened for me. I was like, oh, everything's set. And when I didn't have that, I was like, well, wait, whose plan have I been living? Has this been my Mm. mother's? Has this been my friends who are all getting married? Like, whose timeline is it? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start with a blank canvas and maybe. I will end up with the same plan, like date, get married, whatever. But maybe I won't. But at least I will know that I consciously came up with it on my own. Mic drop, frankly. Yeah. yeah honestly. Yeah. Like, Should we hang up now? Much. Like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Something that I was thinking a lot about. So, like I said, kind of offhand, I was recently broken up with. And so I'm kind of back on the back on the dating scene. A part of the book that I was really interested in, and I was hoping you could um, tell the listeners who I'm sure may or may not have read the book, a little bit more about like the spectrum of chemistry and going for somebody in the middle of your spectrum. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'll start off with the concept I talk about in the book, which is called a chemistry compass. So um, 
this is our internal GPS that really drives us to who we're drawn to or who we're repulsed by. And that chemistry compass is great if it's in working order, right? But a lot of us, especially if you didn't have a very healthy model of what love looks like and feels like growing up, our chemistry compass gets a little bit wonky because human beings are drawn to what's familiar. And this is across the board, whether it's food, music, or romantic partners. So if you, for example, had an unavailable father, like that was me, um, you know, where I earned his attention and love if I got good grades and he was never around. So I was always chasing him for some sort of attention or love. And, you know, fast forward, I was drawn to people who could wound me in a very similar way. And so my chemistry compass was broken and it just kept pointing me into the direction of people who I had to chase. Now, it's confusing because the physical package looked really different. Like in my 20s, it was just DJs and club owners. And in my 30s, it was just like tech <laughs> entrepreneurs. I'm like, oh, there's no pattern. But those people, I had this 10 out of 10 attraction, like lock eyes. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my soulmate. That's the one. And I've met the one like 38 times now. Um, <laughs> that was because my chemistry compass was broken. And it was, I, I would subconsciously be able to pick up the people who could wound me in a very familiar way. And so mm. I really encourage if anyone listening, if you had a history of, you know, not picking the right people for you or unhealthy relationships, it's not that you are broken. It's that your chemistry compass might need some work. And so that 10 out of 10 attraction, I want to rip off your clothes. Oh my God, you're my soulmate. That's not a green light. That's a red light saying something's going on here. There's a familiar wounding pattern. And, and then when people are heartbroken, you see this kind of swinging of the pendulum where they go to the other extreme. And like, you know what? I'm either not going to date or I'm only going to go for people who I don't really like. And it's their way of protecting themselves. And you don't want to go there either. Um, there's a healthy kind of balance where you meet someone. You might not know that it's romantic chemistry right away because sometimes the brain takes some time to cognitively process what type of connection it is. So don't write someone off right away. Yeah, I you mentioned going on like six dinner dates with somebody and then just sort of sort of seeing them like, "Oh, you're so cute. Like, what's up?" And <laughs> I I have to be honest, I think I would have a hard time making it six dates before feel like I I can't say that I've been open to doing that. That's that takes some consistency. So that was a specific dating experiment that I conducted on myself. Um, okay. Basically, what happened was I had a, a like a string of very unhealthy, like one month, two months, you know, DJ, club owner, blah blah blah, just constantly heartbroken. And then this really nice guy asks me out, and he was a a friend, and I remember he like went on like Facebook chat and he's like, Hey Amy, you know, I know we have very similar values and, um, I know we've just been friends, but I was wondering if you'd be open to, you know, going on a date and seeing if this could turn into something more. And my reaction was I screamed in my desk. I was at work and my <laughs> colleagues were like, Oh my God, what's wrong? And I felt complete disgust. And I was like, there's something wrong here. If this is my physical reaction, I'm screaming as if someone just died. Um, something <laughs> is wrong. So yeah. I conducted a dating experiment where I was like, I'm going to see if I can change my chemistry compass. And I dated multiple people. And one of these guys, his name is Carter in the book, 
in the very beginning, I didn't have a physical attraction to him. And I said to him, like, hey, I don't want to lead you on. Like, I think you're cool. If you want to hang as homies, like, let's do that. But I don't see this as a romantic thing. And he's like, yeah, totally fine. Like, well, I, I think you're an awesome human. I'd love to get to know you. So as I was doing this dating experiment, I would do two to three dates max with these other people. And okay. I was same thing. I was like, this isn't working. Oh my gosh, nice guy, but I'm bored. And yeah. it wasn't until like seven months later and like six times seeing this Carter guy that I was like, oh shit, like I'm seeing you in a different way. Like you look Carter. really hot right now. <laughs> but but the experiment worked because every one of those experiments with those nice, secure people got me a little bit more familiar with what does healthy feel like. Yeah. I, I recently went on five dates with somebody that I was not attracted to whatsoever um, and I'm very sorry to say that out loud. Hopefully he's not listening. <laughs> but, but I was trying. Like I think I, I was trying to do that and he ended up ending things with me because he didn't feel enough of a romantic connection. Um, and I was like, oh, I guess maybe I was just right in the beginning. Like I shouldn't maybe have been pushing this particular one. But like I agree with Rourke. Like that's something that I've never been able to do. And may, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I need a dating experiment. I mean, I really I've gone from it. friends to dating. Sorry, Amy. Mm. So I, that's I think it's a version of that, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what the thing about like familiarity breeds likability, right? I forget the exact phrase, but like th- there's scientific studies that prove, and I think you mentioned them in your book too, Amy, that like the more you're around someone, the more you like them. Yeah. So there, it's called the mere exposure effect. And so if we um, see someone often – uh, with regularity, it's going to amplify the root feeling. So it's, you know, this is why if there's a annoying coworker at work, you see them all the time, it doesn't make you like them, it just amplifies how annoyed you are with them. But right. if there's like, oh, like, this is fun. And I like, like this as a person, it could amplify that into something else. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I really like that. And at the same time, I'm like, shit, like, I need to see this guy more often. <laughs> Like here's my like my my measuring stick and what I tell people to do is um when you go on a date and uh, all you need to ask yourself like am I having fun do I want to see this person again that is it you don't have to be like, is it romantic do I want to marry like none of that and yeah. and if it's a yes then you go again and then if it's a yes again then you go again and because the thing is with connection again like Sometimes the brain takes some time to catch up to figure out what type of connection it is. Is it romantic mm-hmm. chemistry? You might not know. But if you write in the beginning, like, well, I don't like, I don't want to really like sleep with this person right now. Like you, your brain might not have caught up yet. So that's why like, it's a really low pressure way. Um, but if you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't even want to be around this person at all. Then it's a no. And if it's discussed, it will never grow into something else. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that the just did I enjoy having a conversation with this person? Like it's not to say I think a lot of people think about it as, oh, so I have to go out with people I don't even like. Yeah. Which it really isn't. Yeah. Should we ask some specific listener questions to Amy? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Um so one of the things that I think that came up a lot is people w- they're trying to stop obsessing. They're trying to stop, you know, the what ifs, the, you know, what could have been, thinking over and over again about what happened. And I think something that really resonated with me that you talked about is the how 
doing that and obsessing can actually be harmful to the chemistry that your brain, like the synapses that you're trying to create in that breakup. And I would love to hear more about that, like what what that looks like. Yeah. So what after breakup, like something I understand about the brain is when you're with someone, you have neural pathways that have been wired together, right? And it's think of them like grooves. So like the longer you've been together, the deeper that groove is. After mm-hmm. a breakup, if you keep going down memory lane by looking at old photos or checking their IG or just even in your brain, like rehashing that fight or thinking about the possible future, you are just kind of continuously deepening that groove. Um, so it's really important to start trying to find things to help you redirect your focus because that obsession, it's just passion. It's energy that is misguided. And so something I help people with is figuring out what that new thing can be that you could get obsessed over that will actually feed your light. So, you know, if you want to write that book, start now. If you want to like start playing guitar, like start doing that, take dance lessons, learn a new language, whatever it is, because what will happen is as you get better at doing that new thing, you'll have a positive feedback loop, you'll get healthy dopamine, and then you'll naturally start to stop thinking about the other person because your energy, your passion is going towards this thing that fills you up. So that's Mm. something to kind of understand about the brain. And that's why, you know, not having contact is really important in the very beginning stages of a breakup. Something else that I found fascinating and like I find psychology just and science like this so fascinating. So I like that was like what I gravitated towards in your book. But one of the things that I was so interested in is you mentioned that the physiological lifespan of an emotion is 90 Mm. seconds. And when I'm thinking about that obsessive behavior, whether it's like looking back at old pictures of my ex or reading text messages he sent me or like I found a letter the other day. And that emotion obviously like for me lasts longer than 90 seconds, but why? Right. So this is incredible research done by uh, Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor. And basically when we feel the emotion, we feel it physically in our body, but there's a chemical peak to that emotion, right? 90 seconds and then the chemical peak kind of hits its top and then it starts to like peak. Mm -hmm. But what happens is we can hold on to that emotion for hours, days, years, because we start feeding it stories. And then we'll have secondary emotions. Um, and then that's that, you know, that first, you know, maybe you saw a, a photo and they're out having fun on Instagram, right? The first feeling you might get is sadness. And then you're like, oh, well, they're moving on and I'm not. And look at me here. And then you feel anger. And then you judge yourself for feeling sad and angry. And then you feel shame. And then you think about this story. And then that, it's like, I I call it feeding the emotional monster, right? That emotional monster wants to stick around as long as it possibly can and get as big as it can. And it's food that it wants are your thoughts. So if you can't stop yourself from having the thought, you can't stop yourself from having the emotion, but you can choose what you feed. So stop feeding the emotional monster. I, in your, I I was curious in your, um, variety of experiences after your breakup, when you said you were just sort of trying a bunch of different stuff, did you ever do EMDR? I didn't know, but that is, it's a very popular, um, that hypnotherapy, things that help you with the subconscious are super helpful. Yeah. Cause my, a good friend of mine did EMDR after her divorce and she what? was telling, she was, what's, what's yeah. EMDR? 
So it stands Nerd. for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Oh, and wouldn't have been my guess. it is what? Yes, that wouldn't have been my guess. I don't know what my guess yeah. would have been, but it wouldn't have been that. It, it, it's a mode of therapy where like you focus on like look at like looking back and forth essentially. Like it, it's 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 it has to it's it has to do with like getting in your body too, which I think is important. And um, Amy, you talk about that as well, like kind of the disconnect um, between body and mind often. And so for her, so while you're doing that, you replay, you intentionally replay experiences of the relationship and rewire them with like different emotions. So for her, she felt like she behaved very weak by staying in this relationship for various reasons and so through emdr she in those like while undergoing that therapy she would say like and in this moment i was strong and in this moment i did this and now she look is able to look back on those experiences and have like no emotion at all it's not positive it's not negative it's just like a thing that happened it just happened yeah that's really interesting yeah it's cool I was just going to say, though, I would say the number one question that we got is, how do you know when you're ready to move on? And I, I don't even know if they're like, what does that even mean? Like, what does like ready mean? But also, what does move on mean? Like, it's just, feels- yeah, I get this question a lot too. Like, when am I ready to date again? And so the answer to that is look, if you are freshly heartbroken and there's different stages of separation, it starts with shock and denial. Um, don't do anything. Don't try to like minimize your pain, distract yourself from it. Don't try to like become a CIA agent and intellectualize it. That's kind of what a lot of us try to do is learn everything. And at that stage, you're just supposed to process it. Feel the grief. Like a part of you has died. The relationship has died. And therefore the part of you that was in that has died, right? Give it the proper respect to grieve it. Um, But there's a period afterwards where if you think you're just going to one day wake up and feel like I'm healed, like I'm now ready, that's not going to come, right? You could still feel sad about someone, even miss them and be able to still be able to be excited about someone else or, you know, even getting back out there. Or you you might be, oh my gosh, it's really scary to put myself out there. I would rather just hide and wait until that moment comes. But the only way to tell is to do it. And if you go on a date and you're utterly destroyed afterwards, because you also have to, you know, manage your expectations that the first few dates after a breakup, you're not going to meet your person. Like if you do amazing, but I'm going to say general population, you're not going to, right? You're probably going to like, oh, I'm going to compare or whatnot. But if it devastates you, okay, take some more time. But if you're like, oh, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't my person. It wasn't that great, but whatever, then keep going. Um, but it, there's not this neat and tidy finality of your emotions that, where it ends and then the other emotions for other things can start. Yeah. It would be so much easier if it was neat and tidy, though. Like, can it just be – can't that just be the way? <laughs> Although, it's funny when you were saying, you know, you're not going to meet your soulmate on, like, the first day you go on, date you go on, because where I'm coming from is that I'm currently dating somebody where I was the first date that he went on after a broken engagement. Mm. And so I'm like, So, yes, so Amy, can. we're going to need you to revise everything you just said. <laughs> 
But you're in the top five percentile, right? I mean, I told you, even with podcast organizing, like, you're top five percentile. So, hey, you know, maybe you're the exception. But, like, the advice I always give is what happens for the general population? Yeah. No, you are you are absolutely <laughs> right. I am probably delusional. But we, we shall see. It is early days yet. It's only been a couple months. A question that a listener wrote in that I thought was interesting because it does kind of tap into this a little bit of an irrational reaction we have after a breakup, which is what if he treats the next person how I want it to be treated? Like what if he's able to do that for somebody else and how to how to kind of release that loop? Yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say that, you know, it's funny. I recall with the ex, he dated a, a model after me. <laughs> and that's I was like, fun. Oh! Love that. Um, we love to see that. Yeah. I, I think that the, the grieving of the relationships and is still the same, even if you have a fear. I think we all have a fear that they're going to move on and they're going to be happier and then you're going to be alone. But like, it really is once you kind of really go through all the stages of separation and the very end of that is accountability where the storyline becomes not about, it's not about they and them and what if they, it's about yourself and like how you're moving forward and what you learn. And then the last stage of that is acceptance where you're like, okay, like this wasn't my person clearly because we're not together. And um, this, this, even if you're not there yet, this hope for and faith that you will, if you want, meet another person and it's not going to be the same. It's going to be a unique, different experience and one's not better or worse. And that is kind of like, once you're there, I think your thoughts naturally start to shift. You're not so hung up on like, well, what if they, because I think that when you are in that loop, it's showing where you are in the stages of acceptance. And mm. that still seems to me that you're kind of in the denial stage uh, or the bargaining stage. Um, and you're not actually in the accountability and the acceptance stage. That makes a lot of sense. I, I would, the gloss that I would add to that just from personal experience is I, I have an ex that we call on the podcast PowerPoint who I broke up with him, but he treated me very poorly in the course of our relationship. And I, I don't want to pay that pain forward. Mm. Like I don't want no one else should, I, I, I hope he fucking figures it out and treats yeah. somebody amazing and that'd be great. And so like I, those are, you know, my success and his success are not a zero sum game and some future woman's success that might end up with him. And so I, I, I think like that's that's what I've thought about at least. I love that perspective. And I think something to also consider is just looking at the psychology of human behavior. Our patterns follow us wherever they go. So unless you are intentionally like, I want to shift this. I have an anxious attachment style. It's sabotaging my relationships. I'm going to like go to therapy, do EMDR, doing all the things, right? If you, if whatever the, if you were treated poorly from someone, right? That comes from their own wound. <laughs> Happy, mm -hmm. healthy, secure people don't treat people like crap. So right. whatever that wound and that pattern is, unless they like make a concerted effort to shift it, it's going to follow them. 
So that's just generally, it's not because you weren't tall enough, blonde enough, whatever it is enough. And that's why they treated you poorly and they're going to treat someone else nicer. It's how they treat people is about themselves. It's not about the person. Yeah. Also, you're not, even if, even if you see your ex in a new relationship, you're not in that relationship. You have no idea if they are actually doing the things that you wish that they did for you. Like nobody's posting about the fight they just had on Instagram, you know? Yeah. This is a, this is a random, this is not from a listener. I just randomly thought of this. What would you say, Amy, is sort of, let's say you've just been broken up with, what is kind of like the first thing someone should do? Should they like, obviously, you know, individual difference, individual mileage may vary, but like, do you think like wallow in it for a day? Call, call. Is there sort of like a best practice, like first move? Yeah. So in the very beginning, you're in a state of shock and it's your body's way of protecting itself to not take this whole new reality of life without this person too quickly because it would be too overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's denial where you're like, is this really happening? Like, no, like this isn't over, is it? And those are necessary stages in the grieving stage. Now, what happens after a breakup is your body goes into survival state. So um, you're flooded with adrenaline and cortisol and your blood flow goes to the major muscle groups of your uh, body to prepare you for fight, flight, or freeze. Um, so this is why some people will not have any appetite because your your appetite becomes like eighth on the priority list when you might be eaten by a cheetah. And that's really what your body's experienced. <laughs> like, I'm in danger. I am going to die. The loss of connection is giving yeah. signals to your body that you are in danger. And so understanding this, like you're physically not going to die. Um you want to do a few things. First, you have to get your food in order because, I mean, this is what I did. I stopped eating and I dropped 20 pounds. Um, you, there's absolutely no way you could start healing your heart if you're not functioning. So I would have friends who would come over and watch me physically put food in my mouth. Um, and then I eventually just started drinking green smoothies because I had no appetite. So you have to get the basics in check. Um, you want to be around people who are very calm and grounded because their nervous system will start to entrain yours. So they will actually help calm you down. But again, the key word here is people you feel safe with who do, and you know, you might have an amazing sister, but your sister always judges you. You're not going to get that same effect. So you have to be around people because the things that you naturally want to do when you're in this kind of shock denial stage is to isolate, to not eat, to not exercise, to not sleep. And you have to yeah. fight all those urges to get out of this kind of dark, dark time. Yeah. Yeah, that's those are really good. advice. Yeah, that's yeah. like great checklist. Do it. Do the things. I love it. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask you about, Amy, is what if you have to have contact with your ex oh, for whatever for whatever reason it is? Maybe you work together, or maybe you share custody of something, whether that's a human or a pet or something like that. How do you handle that? So you want to keep. Uh, a very neutral emotional charge. So it's emotional charge that keeps you attached. Meaning every time you pick a fight or they pick a fight with you, 
that even though it's a negative interaction, it's there's still emotional charge. Or right. if you have really good news and you're used to sharing it with them, and you're like, oh my gosh, I just got this promotion. Again, there's emotional charge. So you want to mm. keep it to the logistics, the basics, uh, without having any of these extreme emotional charge. If you have a hard time like facing the person. So I used to have panic attacks every time I ran into my ex and I would see him around because we lived in the same neighborhood. We had the same friends. Um, I ha what I did, I knew he was going to be at this party and my friend refused to disinvite him. So I was like, shoot, what am I going to do? Um, so you, what you can do in that instance is you could do mental rehearsal. So you actually visualize seeing your ex that, you know, you do a nod, it's amicable, you continue going on, you don't shrink, you don't get mad, you're just like, fine, you feel confident, and you just really imagine yourself in that moment. And at pro athletes do this, speakers do this before they perform, what it does is it creates a neural pathway in your brain before game time. And it really worked. I ended up seeing my ex and gave the nod. I was fine. I went, had that, went to that party and it was, you know, the very first time I didn't have a, a panic attack. Oh, so yeah. you could do that to help yourself to kind of psych yourself into how you want that engagement and interaction to go. I love that. It's like manifesting in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm very like careful with like words, like just manifest. Like I yeah. really like it's happening in your brain, right? It's you're carving a neural pathway in your brain first and foremost. The more you do that again, it becomes easier to access it. So that by the time you do see the person, it's, it's not the first, first time doing it. Yeah. I love that. I like that advice too, for difficult conversations. Like I will, all, I will often rehearse difficult conversations yeah. that I know I'm going to have, not just in relationships. Like if I'm like asking for a raise or, you know, things like that. And it, it has helped me a lot. Yeah. Something that you said in there, Amy, I wanted to pick up the thread on of, you know, sharing good news or it, I, I'm a big believer in that, like the person who hurt you can't help you. Mm. What do you recommend people kind of ask their ex for by way of like, can you meet me for coffee and explain why this happened? Can you like, what, what do you recommend in terms of contact? Oof. Okay. So this like closure talk, people get really obsessed with getting closure afterwards. And I get it because our brain works in loops, right? And there's an open loop when it ends. And so you want to find the information, whatever it is to close that loop. And there is, uh, there's mental t uh, tension until you kind of figure it out. But people are chasing closure when really what they want is a relief from pain. Mm. So you have to look at it that way because no matter what that person says, they apologize, uh, they tell you why they cheated, whatever it is, it's not going to give you relief from pain. And so it's this insatiable pit that won't be filled by something outside of yourself. And mm -hmm. here's the thing. People don't know why they do what they do. Um, right. And they might think like, oh, it's because of this or because, you know, you're too intense and they have no freaking clue. Um, it's, you know, they've done tons of research. Even when we say like, we want this in a partner, you actually see what people who people end up with completely different because a lot of these decisions come out of like our subconscious part of our brains mm -hmm. and you yeah. if you don't know you'll find something you're like oh it's because of that annoying laugh or whatever it is when you have no clue yeah yeah so like a maybe friend, a friend of mine questions. works in branding oh sorry Allie. 
I was going to say, like, they don't even know the answers to the questions that you're asking. So, like, how could the answers be helpful? Yeah. I mean, I've I've had breakups with people when I told them it was because of this and I thought it was because of that. And now, now when I look back, I was like, oh, no, it was like, I remember that one moment when they looked in the mirror in a certain way and I just felt disgust. And there's no rhyme or reason, but that could be a love map from when I was four years old, when I picked up something and there was an association and I don't have a cognitive memory, but I have some emotional memory of something that caused me to be like, ew, that's icky. But to me, I was like, oh no, it's because of like, you're just too this. I had no idea. Yeah. That happened to me where um, a guy that I was dating took a picture of me sleeping and was like, how like you look so like peaceful and like beautiful, da da da. And like he thought it was very cute. And I never recovered from the disgust that that made me feel. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how I would react to that. I I hope I don't find out. Yeah, it was weird. I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I would like it, especially because I sleep like a corpse. Like I sleep on my back, facing up to the wall, with my arms just like by my sides. Like I do not look peaceful. I look dead. That's so really like funny. pictures of me sleeping are not cute. They're just they're just not. Um, but Amy, this was so wonderful. I feel like I could pick your brain about all of this stuff for <laughs> hours. Honestly. Yeah, this was so fun. Yes, thank you so much for giving us your Sunday evening. Yes. Can you please let the listeners know where they can find you? Yeah. So my website's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. And my book is called Breakup Bootcamp, The Signs of Rewiring Your Heart. You can buy that at all bookstores. And my Instagram is at Miss Amy Chen. Amazing. And we will put all of that in our show notes, of course, so that everybody can find you super easily and read your book because it is absolutely amazing. And there's so much else in there that we didn't even get to touch on because it's just, honestly, just chock full of good advice. So highly recommend everyone. Thank you. Well, thank you again and have a great kind of last, last few hours of the weekend. Yes. Sunday scaries setting in. Thank you, Amy. (laughs) 